Welcome to Recovery His Way. I'm your host, Tom Reynolds. Glad to have you today. We're on the campus of His Way in Huntsville, and uh, we've been addressing the subject of the 12 steps. We've looked at the 12 steps from a biblical point of view, and then we've had the privilege of being able to investigate through the lives of men who have walked it and are walking these steps to see how those biblical ideas are really practiced in real life. And today we have one of those real life testimonies. Garrett McDaniel's with us. Garrett, good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Garrett graduated about five and a half years ago, and, uh, and it's great to have him back on campus. It's good to see you. You don't look a day older <laughs> since you graduated. It's good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so it's been, I, I know we haven't seen each other a lot. However, I get to follow you on Facebook. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're so, getting this. And so yeah. I get to kind of see how you're doing. You got married, you got a kid, and all that kind of stuff's happening in your life. Mm-hmm. and your career is going well and all that is just really neat to see. It's rewarding for me to be able to sit back and, and watch that. So thanks for sharing that on Facebook. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't speak well of Facebook, but it has some good things. Um, I can't take credit. It's, it's my wife who actually shares this stuff <laughs> on my Facebook, but I'm glad you got to see it. Um, so I guess I want to begin with just kind of your journey. I mean, I've known you for um, a while now. Um, I'd like to maybe share just a brief um, description of kind of what your recovery journeys look like, and then we'll talk more about our, our step. So, um, you know, as a child, I've, I always felt like there was something different about me. I can't explain it, but I always, I was never as content, it seemed like, you know, with just, you know, one toy or you know i always had to have the whole set and then the other set and then the, i mean there was always this need for me to to do more or have more and i feel like um that kind of um set the stage so to speak for um my behavior and actions later on in life mm-hmm. um and it was it was at a point i guess you know you get older, you turn 16, you get a vehicle and you kind of have all this freedom, Mm -hmm. um, to come and go and you're not, you know, supervised. And it was, it was at that time when everything started kind of unraveling for me. Um, and I, you know, I started, um, using things to make me feel different. Um, should I say names? How'd you start? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I started with, you know, smoking marijuana. I mean, I think that's, you know, the, um, the usual entry point. Um, and it was only a matter of time before, you know, I'm, I'm literally skipping school. I'm, I'm, you know, avoiding my responsibilities to just go use the substance to change the way I feel. Um, and I carried on like that for, um, for years, uh, until, I lost my first job because I smelt like marijuana. Um, assistant manager of a movie theater was a great accomplishment for me. It was, it was so you know rewarding. I remember getting the promotion. I was so, uh, I felt so achieved. But um, I just couldn't let go of that you know that substance that made me feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked up the pieces from that and moved on. And you know it's this perpetuation of you know I can't let go of the things that make me feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, you know, the marijuana is not enough. You, you graduate and move on to a uh, much more, um, intense, you know, things, uh, 
which uh, through the, the gambit or, or spectrum, I ended up with pain pills. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd actually suffered a, a really um, painful four-wheeler accident. Mm-hmm. I, I'd broken my pelvis. Wow. Um, and I remember when they had, they actually administered, you know, pain medicine in the hospital. And, you know, I got this, this feeling that I, uh, which led to prescription pain pills mm-hmm. and, um, on and on and on, you know, job after job, no matter how, you know, accomplished, no matter how committed my resolve was to never, you know, use this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finally, you know, I've just got this job now, or, you know, I finally got, you know, this thing I wanted or whatever. The drugs always won. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's it's at the point where that, that perpetual cycle that you, you almost become desensitized to it to where it's almost like accepted routine, like this, this relapse, um, you know, get cleaned up, get a good job and immediately or not soon after, you know, um, relapse mm-hmm. get incarcerated it's it's almost like there was this unspoken protocol where my family knew exactly what to do right. at that time you know uh we need to go pick up his clothes we need to put the money on his book and i felt so so helpless so dependent mm-hmm. um so enslaved um uh, almost disgusted in myself mm-hmm. you know and it's it's at that point where things i really started to seek a way out and that would that was um the first time I'd come to his way, um, which may have been 2010. Okay. Um, perhaps uh, 2010. Yeah. So about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're in the ballpark. Huh? Yeah. And you first came to his way. What was your first experience when you came here? Um, it, it was warm and welcoming. I mean, I, I, there's no doubt that his way always was and always will be a, a fantastic place to come and, and feel accepted and loved and, you know, to learn about Christ and, and to to grow in recovery. Um, but at that time, I wasn't ready. You know, what was missing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I wish I could put my finger on it. Um, I wish I could the go back and put my right, finger. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, but it, it's just, I have no doubt in my mind at that time, there was resolve and there was commitment. But for some reason, I just couldn't, I couldn't carry it out. Right, right. And then you came back, you came back a second time, is that right? Yes. And then a third. Okay. All right. Yeah. What do you think happened that eventually led to this taking root? I remember I had gotten to a point um, where I felt like I had made such strides. This was the second time I I felt like I'd made such strides in recovery and I was so accomplished. I felt so good about where I was at. Mm -hmm. And and I went home and I relapsed again and I, I was so insulted by myself i think i even use the term with you i feel like i've committed a great affront to myself because there was a part of my being there was a part of me that knew irrevocably that i was doing i was failing you know i was i was um falling back and it was so insulting to me that that i let myself that lower self you know sabotage me Mm -hmm. um and that that was pretty much the end of it. So kind of this this ultimate disgust finally yeah, leads yeah. to I I can't 
um, continue to live in that conflict anymore. I got to break that cycle. Yeah, and I mean, I hate to compare myself to other people. It's you know, I would see people that I you know my age, and you know they had bought homes and started families and here I am begging you know my mother for for twenty dollars right. um, I just felt so right low right so so you you've I know you completed the program fine I mean the, the third time I guess and graduated about five and a half years ago so what yes. what's happened in this five and a half years um, for you what's recovery look like for you during that journey um well I, I left here and went to Dana's. Um, the transition went, house. Tra- transition okay. house, yes. And um, that was very beneficial for me um, because although, you know, as a grown adult, you don't want supervision, uh, sometimes it's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that provided me just that, that little extra, you know, stretching room to, to move on and, and progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I stayed there for, for years and... Uh, eventually, uh, I don't know, things just kind of fell into place. Um, I got a good job, um, I, and then I got, I got married and, and had a kid and, um, beautiful boy and, Mm -hmm. and just, um, there were things in the world more important than me Mm -hmm. at that point. Right. I think that's a profound realization is when you can honestly make that shift from, um, me being the most important thing yeah. on the planet to something else, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And so a lot of times we'll give lip service to that, yeah. but then we or we watch our behavior and it looks just like that. But at some point we can genuinely, you know, have the responsibility of a wife and a family and a child and all that, a career, and those things be meaningful enough that they kind of become more valuable to me. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, I appreciate your journey, and uh, I mean, you look so great, and I just love hearing um, what God's doing in your life. You know, this 10th step that we're talking about um, says that we continue to take a personal inventory, and when we were prompt, and when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, so I want to kind of think about that for a second. What, how has that step, particularly in your recovery, been an important part of your recovery journey? Yeah, and... The tenth step, you know, that is that is the first step where you're um, actually sort of, you know, walking. You're sort of living it. It's not just about, you know, you're being told to do one single thing. You're you're actually um, developing, you know, a pattern or um, and right. you're continuing. Um, right. But for me, I mean, the tenth step is critical because if my ego goes unchecked, I'm in trouble. Um, so I, I can't allow myself to to be disrespectful or t- to be unkind to someone or to to be frustrated without realizing what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of my own checks and balances within myself because when I'm in charge of things well, without checks and balances, it, it doesn't end well. All right. right. And that's true for all of us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. The, how do you kind of monitor that for you? I mean, you know, taking this personal inventory when you realize you're wrong, admitting it. Obviously, there has to be some point at which you kind of stop and say, okay, I need to look in the mirror on this. I need to kind of reflect on it. Is there a, some kind of rhythm you have to become alert to that? I, I try um, to just 
catch myself in the moment if I can. I try to be aware. I know what the feeling of frustration feels like. I know it even before I'm fully, fr- I know what it feels like mm-hmm. coming. And I try to catch myself becoming frustrated or becoming angry or mm-hmm. um, even anxious or, you know, anything and, and try to just be aware of it in the moment. But there are times where at the end of the day, I may be, you know, um, just reflecting on the day and realize you know, I wasn't, you know, I was in the wrong there and, mm-hmm. and I need to go issue an apology. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I think formally, like actually sitting down and writing it would probably be um, the best format, but I've got to admit, I don't usually sit down and write right. it out. But. Right. And, and I think, you know, obviously as you begin anything, kind of like you yeah. mentioned, I mean, the, the first really nine steps are kind of working steps. And you kind of really, the 10th step begins the maintenance process, right? Begins yeah. the point which now I've put this practice into place. Now I got to continue to repetitively practice it. And this invent, personal inventory becomes the way in which I keep it repetitively practiced in my life. And really those first nine steps kind of all culminate into yeah. to that. And so um, as you start making that transition, yeah, I think you get, you know, you can get a little bit more away from the formalization, yeah. you know, whereas, you know, step four, you're making a list of yeah. everything. Step five, you're sitting down with someone talking to them. You know, you're making an inventory of people you need to make amends to. You're writing those things down, all that. And you, you probably write it down would be good. But at some point, you, it's about just kind of a habit of it, kind of a practice of it. It sounds like you're doing. And, you know, that, that's why they say progress and not perfection, because it, it really is um, just a constant state of progression. I mean. Um, I'll, I'll never be to the point where I don't have to take an inventory. You know, mm-hmm. that's just not, a, that's just not attainable. Right, <laughs> right, right. And, and I think that's important. I think, and having regular intersections in our lives, obviously you're talking about, you know, if, if I know it in the moment, I feel it building. Yeah. That's, that's a great one where you just kind of catch it in that yeah. moment. And then sometimes it's, you know, that moment when you're kind of maybe wrapping up your day, you're reflecting over your day, maybe you're driving home from work, yeah. you're thinking about what's happened during the day and you start reflecting over it becomes one. I know um, some of the others I, I was thinking about is even having a time in the week. And one of the things I think is interesting from a spiritual point of view is that, you know, Scripture gives us, you know, this taking the Lord's Supper and coming back to God. And in First Corinthians, it talks about even um, reflecting on things and, you know, making amends. It kind of in that process. Um, and I know one of the others, I know my wife and I do a lot of times is on an anniversary where we try to sit down and take some time to kind of reflect over where we're at in a relationship or, you know, a birthday, kind of saying, okay, where am I at? Having these kind of intersections at New Year's can be a good one, right? Where we yeah. kind of reflect on the past yeah. year and look toward the coming year. And it's kind of an inventory time in which I can kind of make amends where necessary, make corrections and that kind of thing. Um, when you come to the realization that something's awry, something's broken, something's off, how have you typically gone about the process of making it right? Um, I mean, usually, I mean, if I can, usually becoming aware of what's happening, I can kind of sequester the, you know, the emotion or um, before I, I commit, you know, a physical shortcoming or actually, you know, do wrong by someone, I can arrest it. But uh, I mean, most of the time it just results in an apology. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A, a breath and just um, taking a second to realize myself again and, mm-hmm. and move forward um, and apologize if necessary. Right. Right. I think it's so important because a lot of the loss of sobriety really becomes 
that buildup of not apologizing yeah. once or twice or three times and then 20 times and 50 times. And pretty soon I have this backlog that becomes <laughs> resentment and bitterness and all that, that then leads me back down that path. Right. And apologizing is really, uh, checks the ego really fast too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, it kind of gets everything back. back right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, as you think about your ongoing recovery process, how has keeping inventory been important to that? I mean, how is it kind of, I mean, obviously you've been, you know, you've had a track record of five or so years here in which you kind of, you know, maintained well. Um, how has this been an important part of supporting that? I mean, I feel like it's critical. I mean, um, just go, going back to the checks and balances. I mean, w without this, I mean, it's, it's more of a, a measure of like personal growth, I feel like, you know, instead of just, um, you know, measuring my sobriety in days or years or whatever, it, it's it's an actual inflection of, of what my state is, you mm -hmm. know, um, and, and how I manage it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that you're pointing that out because a lot of times we think of recovery as, as I just mentioned, five and a half years talking about in terms of longevity, right? Mm -hmm. But what about depth? Right. You know, what's the yeah. depth of yeah. that? I mean, and is it getting deeper as I go? Because the, the root problem was me all along. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. And yeah, I don't even really measure my sobriety in days or years. It's not that I don't have a desire to amass a collection of number of coins or anything like that. It's just that here and now is the only time I have to be sober is right now. Mm -hmm. Right now is the only time I have to actually do work, mm -hmm. um, to to do an inventory or, or to realize myself and my shortcomings. So um, right now is all that, that matters. Right, right. How has this um, journey impacted your marriage? I mean, obviously that's kind of an um, interesting, because you, you, know, you kind of have this very intimate relationship that you, know, you haven't had before. You're living with somebody, you have this um, connection with another person. How has marriage impacted your recovery process? That's a good question. Um, and I mean, it, it's not been easy. Um, I mean, it's been a learning process. It's been a growing process. I mean, there's certainly been a myriad of times that I was wrong, um, but I mean, it's definitely, I feel like helped me grow, um, helped me grow more solid in my recovery. Um, and more solid just in, in being, you know, a productive person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's been good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> good. Well, and I think that's part of the beauty of it is you have such an intimate accountability partner. Yeah. Um, that their lives are depending upon your sobriety today and your son's life is dependent upon your sobriety today. Yeah. And there's an intimacy and accountability there um, that marriage and family bring that are powerful. Uh, obviously, that's not a guarantee. I mean, there's a lot of guys who... Um, have destroyed marriages and stuff like that because of substance abuse. So, but the fact that, you know, I think one of the beauties of your situation I love is that the journey that you've gone through um, of recovery and the steps and the working and the process of dealing with your life, you can bring that into your relationship and that, you know, ultimately maybe those same tools can be the tools that help make for a better marriage and be a better father and those kind of things and that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the steps. I mean, and, and they've been applied to a, a great, you know, many modalities and situations. I mean, they're, they're solid step. It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's good stuff. Right. I mean, I love them because they're so practical and yeah. they really bring yeah. the rubber to meet in the road. And I think the beauty of the steps 
too, is it helps Christians take all these points. I think all 12 steps are very biblical yeah, ideas absolutely. that were taught in, or taught in Scripture. Jesus focused on them and, um, and kind of give us ways to put them into practice. So many times we can kind of, you know, idealize these this um, value system that the Bible teaches us, but we don't know how to actually bring it to practice. Yeah. And the 12 steps gives us a, way, a great way to practice them yeah. in all kinds of areas of yeah. life. I mean, and even helps, I mean, visualize them. I mean, put, you know, something tangible to something intangible. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I appreciate it. It's, it's just great. So great to see you and hear you. I really appreciate your insights today. Um, and I want to encourage you to continue to walk these steps out and, you know, not only be a, a process for your sobriety in terms of recovery, but also a great foundation for marriage and being a father and uh, and continue to have a great career and so proud of you excited for your future thank you thank you and thanks for watching us and listening to us at recovery his way if you would like to know more about our program you can check out our website at hiswayinc.org